Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around drinking coffee or cocktails and talking about writing, publishing, the whole creating process. We do not censor ourselves, so please consider us PG-13. Your hosts today are John Schmidt, David Welsh, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 47, with a song in my heart. We are here today uh, welcoming something kind of new for us. We have singer-songwriter Jeff Brown. Jeff, say hi to everybody. Hello. <laughs> you were introduced to us through our amazing uh, tech girl, Deirdre. So you have known her for a long time? or it's, uh, I met her through a dear friend of mine who I had known in high school, and she was the officiant. Uh, no, she wasn't the officiant. She was uh, uh, involved in my friend's wedding. So I've known her, yeah, quite some, quite some time. So you never let go of people and network like crazy. You never know. Well, you know, I, I never let go of good people. Right. Well, welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. And we have talked a lot about writing poetry and writing stories and writing different genres. And I would love to get together to you because I have been in a band. Dave's been in a band. John sings all over the time. Let's talk about writing songs and lyrics and how the process works for you. Did you always know you wanted to be a singer-songwriter? Well, um, so I, I, I wrote a lot of poetry when I was younger, as we're wont to do. Um, eventually, it got less terrible. Um, and long around the time that I was 11 or so, I, uh, I was introduced by accident to uh, a band out of England called Iron Maiden. And uh, after about 10 seconds of listening to one of their albums, I decided I want to learn how to do that. You couldn't see, but I did a little Iron Maiden air guitar like Ella yeah. Wingsworld the second yeah. you said that. But, uh, but yeah, uh, so I've been, I've been playing guitar since I was 11, and uh, I was in a host of you know, bands, really, really heavy stuff for quite some time. But uh, as, as good musicians should do, you know, pigeonholing yourself into listening to one genre is, is dangerous. So I would, I would listen to all sorts of different genres, and... You know, while, while I was still playing the crazy, crushing heavy metal, I was listening to, you know, uh, Jeff Buckley and Leonard Cohen and a lot of other, you know, more sensitive singer-songwriters. And eventually, right after I was in college, I was in a band and we toured for several years and we broke up spectacularly. And uh, then I decided to uh, do the more singer-songwriter thing because it was just me. When you broke up, did the drummer explode? Um, well, <laughs> literally, no. But uh, figuratively, it was ugly. <laughs> I, was, I, I think yeah. bands are very much like marriages. And if they don't end badly, then they don't end. So all of them kind of end a little badly. It, yeah, really, it, it felt like I broke up with, with four boyfriends at once, which is weird because I've never done that before. But, you know, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've, I've broken up with a couple bands, one for uh, musical dis differences and AKA we wanted to practice and then other ones just because of relocation. Did you, did you leave a band behind when you moved from Chicago to Virginia? I sort of, um, they're still there and we haven't officially broken up because I love making music with all of them and up until fairly recently, it was a little bit easier to travel back and forth. But uh, I mean, we're still we're still in the middle of making an album together. 
So we just don't, it's just harder to get everyone together to rehearse. We're, we're calling it music in the time of cholera. So Music in the time of cholera. Yes, the, so, the, so, the loneliest year, I think. So how do you start if you think, to, I mean, are you, I've always thought that poetry has a, we, we call it pantsing versus plotting when you're writing a, a novel. Do you view music the same way? Do you plan out a song or is it more of a, oh, I've got this riff. Oh, hey, I've got this lyric. Okay, let's see where it goes organically. Yeah, typically, typically one of two things will happen. I'll either be inspired with some sort of melody um, and I'll, the music will come first. I'll have you know, an idea of a chord progression or some sort of you know, little melodic hook or whatever. That happens far less regularly than just some nugget of you know, clever wordplay or something that I overhear that inspires me to play around with it a little bit. And then I have you know, this little idea of a lyric line and that rattles around for anywhere from a couple hours to a couple of years. <laughs> And usually that's where everything kind of starts. Um, and then, you know, sometimes sometimes I'll, I'll have, you know, a, a melody line that goes along with that lyrical bit of something and that flushes out into a song. Um, I, I have a lot of, my, my, my phone is over, overflowing with little voice memos and things. That was exactly what I was going to ask, is how do you record those? How do you organize yourself to say, yeah, what was that thing I was humming? I really liked it. It reminded me of Trey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, back back in the day, I used to call my answering machine. Uh, back when answering machines were a thing. We, I, um, we're all old on this call. We get you answering machines. <laughs> yeah. what What's that? Did you ever pick up on the other end? Oh no! <laughs> oh, thank God. That would have been that would have been very meta. That would have been Jeff. This is a super bad idea. This song will kill the entire Eastern Seaboard. <laughs> Either science fiction or horror, possibly both combined. Thank you, Jeannie. You've now got a new plot for Bluebird. Always. So you, you say you started on heavy metal, and then I, I noticed on your webpage, which we will send a link to everybody, you described your songs about girls and feelings mostly. Uh, yeah, it pretty much covers it. <laughs> so, well, some, someone had asked me once what my, my main, main writing influences were, and I thought about it, and you know, I, I said girls and alcohol. That's that's fair. That's there was a long time, for instance, musical history that I was sure it was all about motorcycles, cars, and making out. So there you go. Yeah, I, uh, I I've never ridden a motorcycle, and uh, it took me a longer time to uh, do the other things. So uh, you know, talk about girls and alcohol. <laughs> but well, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. it's an extension of the basic Irish. You know, she's a beautiful maiden. The English have stolen all my sheep, and God, we're drunk. There you go. You just don't. You just don't have any sheep. But that is, there's, there are a lot of cows that live across the way, though. Are they yours, and why they, not? They, well, because uh, they are currently on the property of our next-door neighbor. So, uh, yeah, you know, theft is probably bad. But, uh, but we, get to, we get to watch them. And actually, if I open up the window, they're probably still moving. But, uh, so is, is this your... I was going to say, being a singer-songwriter, is this your entire day job, or is this the avocation because you have another day job and you have not yet signed the major record deal that's coming? Uh, so I, uh, I'm an entertainment attorney. Awesome. Um, oh, that's actually I, very I, convenient. It, you know, I, so I went, to, uh, I went to law school for the purposes of being an entertainment attorney because, you know, being on tour with that band, I just saw so many of my friends and so many people I cared about just absolutely eviscerated by 
you know, the recording industry. And I thought, well, what do I, what can I do to make sure this doesn't happen to me and to people that I, I like? And I, I met a woman in Chicago who was in, you know, pretty influential band in the uh, late 90s to early 2000s. And she said, well, I'm going to go to Northwestern Law School and I'm going to be a rock and roll lawyer. And I thought, that's a great idea. So, well, I was, uh, was going to say, I, I just got excited. You are here to finally explain how Queen did not win the lawsuit this is versus Vanilla Ice for the for the dun 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 dun. If 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 anyone can explain it to me, I would love to know. Yeah. So but did I, you? But apparently, apparently theirs was dun 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 dun, and Vanilla Ice's was dun 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 dun. So there you go. <laughs> uh huh. Did you did you ever represent yourself? I'm just here to ask meta questions, by the way. So. Well, as it turns out, the, uh, the big uh, piece of advice in the legal industry is that a person who uh, represents themselves has an idiot for a client. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, so is that a no? <laughs> uh, that, is, that, is, that would be a no. Okay. I, I try not to get into trouble to begin with. So. <laughs> well, it, it brings up, we have, we have talked to uh, IP lawyers and copyright lawyers on the show before because people do fanzine writing and I don't know if there's really a musical equivalent of besides maybe filking, you know, but yeah. is there, you know, the sort of taking of one riff and using again, it seems to happen less in music than it does, you know, rappers accepted. I, I think in music it's better hidden, but because I know personally, I mean, one of, one of my fun exercises is, you know, if, if I just, can't think of anything to write I, I have a dry spell what i'll do is i i'll take a song that i love and i'll say okay what is what is the chord progression behind this and i'll take that chord progression and change the key um speed it up slow it down rearrange it in some manner to where you know that's that's a building block to do something totally different with it yeah, it's funny you mentioned chord progressions because it's fairly. Um, I play a lot of jazz, and in the in the jazz world, it's it's fairly well understood that any given chord progression is kind of fair game as long as you don't actually rip off the the tune, uh, the melody. Yeah, that's very... yeah well, that, that's the thing because I've I have worked on several copyright you know infringement cases, and the idea is that you know when when you're dealing with musical plagiarism, there's the rhythm and then there's the melody and those are the two main components and if the rhythm is different if the melody is different based on that same chord progression it's it's not plagiarism yeah so that's i mean it's it's interesting how did chord progressions get a pass right yeah well i mean it's i guess it's similar to writing is that there's only so many words in the english language although they keep on adding stupid ones from time to time yeah. there was a magnificent rant done on the topic of pocketbell uh, somewhere back like 2006 of somebody who played these are all of the stories that are basically to the pocketbell you know chord progression yeah oh my goodness <laughs> well i guess if if chord progressions could be copyrighted then there would only be one 12 bar blues song and, and so on so yeah maybe it's okay there's two well that, i i read i read something fairly recently that there was uh, a couple guys out of i think it was berkeley school of music that ran this program that generated you know you know, every possible imagining of chord progressions and melodies, and they copyright all of them and put them into the public domain. I remember so, reading that too. Good for them. Yeah. So do you ever sit down and say, I am going to write a song for John, 
or do you, do, you, do you decide and invite to say, I am going to create something, a story about this, lyrics about this, I, a song about this? I have done, I have done that. It usually ends catastrophically. <laughs> I see. I, uh, Where does it go wrong? Um, usually the, I'm going to write a song about this, and my subconscious goes, yeah, good luck. But, that uh, proves you're writing poetry. All right. Because that's what happens with poetry. And the next thing you know, you're standing in a field. The moon is high overhead. They're burning down the village. Wait, what? <laughs> but so knowing that it, writing poetry about Dave is going to be disastrous, how uh, there's your muse, but there's also your discipline. What is your discipline trick to write a song? The, because writing a poem, you, you, you limit your form to a degree, but setting that to music and limiting the point is, is an extreme that I have. All right. So I write bad contrafade, which is a fancy way of saying filk all the time. <laughs> but writing a song cold, ugh, scary. Yeah, because because with you know with with parodies and with things like that, it's like you have this template to already work with. And it's like all right, well you know here's here's the melody, here's this. All I got to do is take some words and fit them in, you know, massage them here and there. Which um, is historically and, a major source. Yeah, to a to a certain extent, that's sometimes how. Uh, writing songs goes because like, if I'll if I'll have this little nugget of melody and eventually you know I fiddle around on my guitar and it turns into a full fledged you know complicated you know repetitive chord progression what I typically do is I'll record that and I'll listen to it you know a dozen times or any one of a number of times and you know I'll just like you know just humming you know gobbledygook into my my phone until eventually you know words start appearing out of the the ether so to speak and then you know you get the phrases that come from that and then it's like all right well now i have this rhythmic melodic construct now i need to find words that rhyme with this and figure out where the song is going so to a certain extent you know sometimes you know you are writing poetry to fill that you know predicated space well, that kind of answers one of the questions I was going to ask, which is, um, we've talked about the process of writing a lot, but um, adding music is kind of a whole new dimension to it, so you have to put the two things together. So, I mean, even in, even writing poetry isn't, isn't, that, isn't that, I guess. I mean, the, the verse form is probably about the closest you come in poetry to um, trying to write the music along with it. And, and yeah, there's so much more freedom we, it was like you know you don't you don't have to rhyme <laughs> at the end of lines if you don't want to we've also talked about um constraints actually um being good for the creative process because um if your search space is infinite then you you really just kind of spin your wheels do you find that um having some basis for starting with um whatever that is um makes you more creative i i, I do um so Gosh, it was probably 11 years ago, I discovered a group called the February Album Writing Month, which is very, probably similar to the, uh, the National Novel Writing Month. But it's, it's a challenge throughout the world, based on this website, to, for songwriters everywhere to write 14 songs in 28 days. Because, you know, in a lot of places, what else are you going to do in February? <laughs> you know, oh, we are totally, you've got to get me the link to that. We have to share that. That sounds awesome. Absolutely. Um, I'd sing it on a leap year. In the leap year, they encourage uh, collaboration to write fourteen and a half. But uh, but yeah, but oh, it's, it's I right before I, I discovered this, I had this 
feeling in my head that all of my songs were starting to sound the same. They were all, you know, six, eight, you know, country waltzes and C minor and everything just kind of felt the same to me. And if they felt the same to me, I can only imagine what people who were listening thought. And I kind of wanted to expand, you know, how I, how I write, what I write. And this website came along and I, I say that it's the best thing to happen in my songwriting since I discovered what a capo was. And, uh, but they'll, they'll have, they'll have prompts. They'll say, Hey, you know, why don't you write a song, um, with this thematically or why don't you write a song that uh like bohemian rhapsody or not bohemian rhapsody um uh happiness is a warm gun where none of the parts repeat themselves over the course of the song or like different different writing challenges to sort of get get creative juices you know bubbling a little bit and you know give you a give you a starting point and man that website has been wonderful for me do you find inspiration in the artists who already kind of borrow a bit from jazz, like you have Sting uses fives and sevens, uh, Jethro Tull, five, seven, weird-ass time signatures. Do you, do you find you listen to that and it sort of frees you up to make different statements in your poetry? Absolutely. I, I tend to write in 4-4 four, four and 3-4 and 6-8, but, uh, you know, I mean, coming from that, you know, metal background and, you know, listening to stuff like you know, um, Fantomas and uh, Mike Patton and Opeth and Dream Theater and jazz and all these. Uh, I, I'm huge, huge into classical and opera. And a lot of the more modern composers are just all over the place with time signatures. And it, it's it's nice to be able to have that option, even if I if it's, it's hard for me personally to write in them. Sometimes they'll happen accidentally. You know, I, I wrote a song where... Uh, like there were a couple of measures of 7-4. And I was like, oh, well, I didn't mean for that to happen, but hey, cool, now that it's here. There's also, I, one supposes, do you have a lot of influence or any influence listening to uh, foreign music? For instance, like Middle Eastern music, you get a lot of 7s, a lot of 11s, a lot of odd time signatures. Uh, Mystère de la Voix Bulgare, so Bulgarian music, does that kind of, does that ever just sort of jump on you a little bit and say, hey, let's do something different? Not really. Um, I, I like Bert, um, but I, I do listen to a lot of opera. So uh, sometimes, you know, I mean, especially with some of the, uh, the like the, the German and the Russian and the Scandinavian composers, but the less, less romantic based means like, you know, you've got your, your French and your Italian, but some of the other ones, they tend to uh, push the boundaries a little bit more and uh, it makes for some more interesting listening and, <laughs> You know, any, any musician who doesn't listen to as much as they can to, to get inspiration and get, you know, new ideas and, you know, new modes is doing themselves a disservice. That's very similar to what they say about writers, of writers should read a lot just to understand oh, what are people are doing, points of view, what is the narrative. Um, you being a guy, you've written about girls. Have you ever tried writing from a different point of view at all? I, I have. Um, I mean, again, you, you, you try to write with what you write from what you know. And, you know, my, my, my life experience is fairly limited like that. But, you know, I, I, I talk to my friends, I watch movies, I listen to this. And, you know, I, I try to envision what this point of view would be. And I, I think being an attorney has helped me tremendously in that. But, you know, you're never going to get that genuine, you know, experience from, from me. Right. But, but I, I certainly try. 
I was just thinking like there was somebody wrote by some comedy of uh, when you come home, a song written by your dog or some of these other, <laughs> should you bark? Yes, we should all definitely bark. I'm on support right now. They should, I should bark and chew on that thing. Can I, can I fit it in my mouth? No. Okay. Can I gnaw on it until it does? Okay. Yes. Let me do that. <laughs> There's a, just playing with that perspective I could see could bring a lot of interesting new ideas. I, I also look at it too, you know, I mean, I could write a song from the point of view of, you know, this woman over here and it would never be as honest as it would coming from that woman over there. <laughs> I could certainly try, but, uh, and that's, that's, that's the thing that I love the most about folk music and the, the sort of singer songwriter stuff that I do is that it just feels, it feels real. It feels honest. And that's, that's the most important thing that I try to, to bring across with my music. Do you mostly, when you're writing, record it down, or do you do notation for it? Or what is your actually producing it so that, you know, the world can, if somebody wanted to look at it, do they have chords? Do they have published bits out? Have you considered publishing? I, I haven't. Um, I have <laughs> an abundance of notebooks with various scribblings and scratchings and chords and lots of things crossed out here and there. Um, because I have been working with other musicians uh, in band formats, I have been doing a marginally better job at writing things down in a more readable format so I can you know, teach people some of my, my music. Right. I mean, but, it's sort of just another idea of the publishing way. It's you, you publish the music and you perform it, but is there a, is there a Jeff song book coming out? I, part part of part of the uh, the self-deprecating musician in me thinks, why the hell would anyone want that? <laughs> but uh, you know, that's that's just me, I think. <laughs> but I, I I haven't really thought about that. There's there's a lot of power in a lot of people coming together to sing together. John, who is it that was emo? I can't remember the name of the guy. Who said coming together to sing. It makes a very profound influence in people's lives, whether they're doing it on Zoom or out the windows in Italy during this time. I think uh, singing and music are hugely important. I, Brian, I just Brian Eno, and the actual quote is, uh, to live a long and healthy life, sing in chorus. All right. Possibly not, actually. Anyway. I actually just saw a couple of days ago uh, a video of... Uh, like thousands and thousands and thousands of people uh, singing along to a Foo Fighters song. Uh, thought, was it chorus, chorus? Uh, I don't choir, know. Choir, choir. Maybe. But it was just, just lines and lines of drum sets set up and a whole bunch of stands with a bunch of people around it with uh, microphones and an army of guitarists and an army of bass players. And I thought, that is super cool. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it's just, it's powerful. It is. Every year at Stanford, they do, you know, the Messiah sing-along and play-along. So, so Dave could show up with his trumpet. I could bring whatever instrument. We could just sit down with our own copy and just play along. I haven't heard like of theremin in it, but I think... Do it yourself Messiah, yeah. Theremin is like clearly needs to be part of the Messiah next time. It, it has been there. Although my, my favorite was still the uh, euphonium, the, the marching tuba section of the Stanford band who showed up drunk. <laughs> Missed an entrance by two two bars. The, the the director, who's the head of the music department, stopped everyone, looked at him, and said, "I still control your funding. Shall we try that again?" Or <laughs> and that wow, they were boom. 
That's <laughs> they were beautiful. right on. Instant sobriety. No, they were still drunk, but wow. And it sounded amazing. Or the year the um, recorder concert with 26 recorders showed up, including five contrabass recorders. Sweet they just cheese. threw them in with the brass section, and away they went. So you what, adv- what advice you would you give? If you have, if we have kids, as I said, John has a whole lot of uh, younger folks that he's coaching with writing and moving forward. What kind of advice would you give to a kid who says, I, I want to be a singer, songwriter, lawyer? <laughs> it, I, I take it uh, maybe wait until we can perform music publicly is not an option. Well, this is a beautiful time where they can be closed in. And if there's any kind of angst you know, going on that you want to turn into music, one supposes this wouldn't be the worst time for it, although it's super hard to be creative when you're stressed, I presume. Is, is that affecting you the same way? You know, it, it really is. I mean, and I, I also, I mean, I'm looking back in here and, you know, I'm, I'm working every day. My wife is a, uh, an essential federal employee, so she's working every day. And, you know, aside from, you know, a lot of, you know, irritations here and there, you know, I, I, I moved from Chicago to uh, rural Virginia two years ago, and I feel like just now I'm starting to make friends and I can't see any of them. But, you know, honestly, life isn't that bad. You know, it's like I know so many people that are having so much worse. So it's like every time I think about being stressed and complaining, it's like, well, it doesn't suck that much. <laughs> have you heard Tim mention some people have it worse than I song? I, no, but I, uh, I believe it. <laughs> I, will, I will post that on your page, uh, on the page that we do for you, just so that you can uh, truly appreciate the, I have to face another day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, about, so back, back to what advice I would give. Um, don't be afraid to write a lot of garbage because you will. That's... Um, and, 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 and eventually it's like, <laughs> sometimes people end up loving your garbage. Um, because, you know, once you write it, you can't control what people are going to like and what people won't. Um, but the more, the more you write, the more you can figure out. I mean, I, I look back at stuff that I wrote, <laughs> two years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, and some of it was just absolutely horrible, should never see the light of day. But every once in a while you get that, it's like, well, actually, that wasn't so bad. And, you know, you, you start, you know, with, with repetition comes, you know, you know come, comes mastering. And eventually, you know, you figure out your voice and you figure out this, this feels good. Let me go with this. Let me refine this. And eventually, you know, more of what you're doing is less, <laughs> less there's unpalatable. Also, there's also a more direct feedback loop, one presumes, when you are, because you instantly have performance there to say, all right, I'm going to play a new song for you. Tell me what you think. And then you can just do it and get that instant feedback of one. You get a few pets of like, good for you. Now, what was that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, I used to, when I was in Chicago, there was a weekly open mic that I would go pretty regularly with just some astonishing talent and it was it was such a receptive warm understanding room that you know i would play these new songs and afterwards someone would say all right here's what worked here's what didn't and sometimes you know as you're playing it you figure out it's like oh no this this is this is not either not as well rehearsed or this this lyric line does not flow as well as it did on my couch or that sounded much better in the bathroom Oh, everything sounds better on my couch, but uh, but yeah, playing playing out live that those opportunities, you know, it 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 teaches you very quick what works, what doesn't, 
what is receptive and what is received well and what isn't, you know. And, they, and even even now, a lot of people are saying that uh, the music industry is hungry for positive songs, which means I'm not going to do anything for them next year. <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, they say Sting took some time off there, and they're like, "What? What was going on?" He's like, "Well, I I was happy, you know." <laughs> so yeah, it's the the the, the joke. Uh, how do you ruin a songwriter's life? Make them happy. But unless he's Bobby McFerrin. <laughs> Well, I also look at it too. I mean, I, I, uh, when I, when I got married a couple of years back, someone had asked, said, so are you not going to write any more, uh, depressing songs? And I said, of course I will, because I'm creative and I have a long memory. But and there's, uh, there's also, one presumes all of the relationships one had in one's brain that never get out. Like me and Liam Neeson, I'm sure is a song that is yet to be sung and, <laughs> and there's that's still in there of the songs you know my friend wrote a whole album called songs for women i don't see anymore and you could write a songs for women i never went out with and oh, there's a lot of guys that could really relate it'd be a very it'd be a very long album well yeah you know a three album set i i, I think it's going to have to be like a spotify channel <laughs> awesome well we would love to go ahead and eventually you'll have a cruise based around it so you know like joko but right. that's another story. <laughs> oh, going, I, I want to go on the Joko cruise real bad. <laughs> I mean, maybe not now, but... I'm kind of soured on cruises in general now, so I don't know if I'll ever go on one. Yeah, I, I went on one, and I discovered that I am not a cruiser, but it, I, I used it as a means to, like, I want to go to this island and then this other island, and the boat is the easiest way. But while I was on the boat, I'm like, this is just not for me. <laughs> it See, now, I was perfect for it because the entire wait staff knew my name, even though I used a different name from it every time. <laughs> Excuse me, madam, uh, Jeannie, what's my name today? Today you are Rudolfo. Yes, ma'am, what would you like? Something with rum and peach. And, you know, if you're whimsical and cheerful, you know, people will wait on you. It's great. It's a solid combination. It's true. It's true. So, Jeff, we're going to put links to uh, both your songs and your webpage. And if there's something you want to really focus on and say, people who try out should go look at that, send me that link. And we will put it on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, we answer email. We are delighted to nag Jeff to answer email. And you can find us on basically any of those places. And we will put also, you have a Twitter link? We'll put Jeff's Twitter link there too. I've got it all. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast dancer is always Jackal Designs, enabling you to buy cool WDC swag, including a great line of, all, great line of t-shirts of all of our great quotes. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks for being with us, Jeff. All right.